Welcome to the fourth episode of this most austere podcast, Signs, Cosigns, and Tangents. Uh, Sean, are you there, man? Yeah, you, yeah, you, I'm here. You don't, you don't sound very excited. Well, you know, sometimes I just have to put a little bit more energy into my performance, and three weeks later, I don't have any to give. Well, welcome to the season finale of... <laughs> We made it four episodes. Great job, guys. All right. So, anyway. Yeah. How are you doing, Jared? Good. I had a week week break. Yes, you did. From this grueling podcast. Where you went and did manual labor instead of talking for an hour. I... That's actually probably good on every level. (laughs) Yeah. So, I hear. So... Before we kind of roll into this week's topics, um, are you having fun doing this? Yeah. Okay. I'm right. having I, – I love podcasts. I love discussion. I love just talking about things without looking at a screen or looking at a screen or looking – I look at screens all the time. So it's nice just to sit down and talk to somebody. Yes, that's true. And And the thing is we're doing this in person. That helps. Absolutely. Right. So it's it, that may be a challenge sometimes, but for the most part, we're trying to make sure we do this live. With- it's great because when I mention Nintendo, Sean will give me that you know discerning eye, like, "Oh my God, will he not go one episode without mentioning Nintendo?" And the answer is no. I can guarantee you, the listeners, I will mention Nintendo every episode. Yeah, and as we get into this week's topics, I want to note that the big Nintendo topic we're going to talk about, I put on the list. Yeah, you did. It wasn't Jared. It wasn't. So it's it's all good. Um, no, it's, this is this is something I, I think I posted a in passing joke, self-realization quote of the day, you know, from me was, you know, I like to talk and I like an audience. Hmm. I didn't know that about myself. Except I did. You knew that. Yeah. You knew that. I do it all the time. And since we're just filling air right now, uh, let's move into our topics. So, yeah, this week's tangents, I wanted to start off with how about that Thor Ragnarok trailer? There's another Thor movie coming out? Yeah, they're making another one. So Dark World didn't end Thor? I mean, he didn't even show up in Captain America. Well, the world was dark, but it wasn't like... Like pitch black. It was just like dimmed lighting. I mean, it was the end of the Loki wins trilogy, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. So what is there? Well, no, do? no, no. He he won at the end again. Sort of. Oh, let's. Oh. I just rewatched Doctor Strange, and I still don't know what's going on with all of that. But let's talk about the <laughs> Thor trailer. So what is it about the Thor trailer that excited you? Because you're obviously excited about this. It looks absolutely bizarre compared to the first. The first two movies were kind of like rigid. You know, the first one was about Thor coming into his own as a hero and accepting responsibility. The second one was sort of like bad things. Thor hits things. I mean, I I watched it. There's funny moments, but in terms of character development or anything like that, there is none. I mean, the things with Loki, since it takes place after Avengers was kind of cool, but... Uh, so I would challenge that the Thor movies are far more about Loki 
than they are about Thor because Loki's yeah. a far more interesting character. Absolutely, I agree with you on and, that. And maybe it's also the actor. You know, I, he I owns it. Tom Hiddleston is is a much better actor than Chris Hemsworth. And and so okay, the thing I love about this trailer it it, it they've kind of accepted. Thor's role as the comic relief in the Avengers now. I mean, they all have, but Thor went off from being a super serious character. Like I come from Asgard and I will defend my realm. And now he's just ridiculous because he's been living on earth. Yeah. Cause he likes beer. Yeah. And coffee. Apparently. Exactly. Um, yeah. So that this is a challenge for me because I think Thor should be serious. I think it has more to do with the actor and his ability to deliver comedic lines. Um, I think that though he's a big buff, you know, athletic guy, if you look at the last two or three film roles he's had, there's been comedy baked into them. Um, and as much as we talked about the dreaded Ghostbusters reboot, uh, he was one of the highlights in that film full of very funny women. There was this one male actor who, quote unquote, was playing against type, and he was hilarious. So, but you're right. Th- this definitely has a different feel to it. It right? almost feels like a Guardians movie from the trailer. Well, I think that's purposeful. I also think that it feels like a a road show, like a buddy buddy cop movie. Um, and and for those who haven't seen the trailer, we've got a link in the show notes. I don't know why you wouldn't have watched it by now, but it's possible. Um, but let me just say, and, and I'm going to work up to this, and and you know, I'm not going to do it. No, do it. I just wish I had. Uh, go ahead. The trailer is hella good. Boo. <laughs> I wish and, I had the. Uh... <laughs> yeah, one dad joke per episode. I just used mine. What did you think of. Uh... I mean, there's lots of different things going on in the trailer, right? You've got the whole Asgard Ragnarok aspect, and then you also have Thor uh, in like basically space gladiator. Yeah, and the Collector doing his contest of champions pit thing, which again, it's a deep cut for you know some people, but uh, Jeff Goldblum's character is playing another one of the uh, the immortals of the universe, like uh, Benicio del Toro did. In Guardians of the Galaxy. So again, we're getting these crossovers and these characters are all mingled. They're definitely in the same universe. It's just I don't know. I don't I don't know what I think about it at this point. It's gonna be fun. That's what I want out of a movie like this. And if you've got Thor and the Hulk beating each other up and then beating other people up together, that's great. The problem is I'm a big fan of the Planet Hulk storyline. Yeah, actually, I was uh, explaining this to some friends, but they're kind of taking elements of that, but it doesn't look like they're going to... I mean, he's just in space. It's just Hulk in space. Hulk in space, which, if you remember after Avengers, when you see the Quinjet flying off, they they were very careful to say, yeah, that's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. I think they realized they had nothing else they could do with the Hulk as a character. He can't, he can't hold his own as a movie, and to some extent... Thor hasn't done a great job of that either. So putting the two of them together, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the right combination. Yeah, basically their interactions from the first Avengers, you know, that that whole sort of rivalry between the two. Yeah, the two super strong characters and they're kind of smarmy with each other and it, 
it works, right? Uh, I don't think that Thor and Banner work. I think Banner is much more a Tony Stark character, but the Hulk and Thor definitely work. Now, what'll be interesting for me is seeing if they actually do in- implement some of the elements of Planet Hulk around the Hulk himself, because the Hulk was just the Hulk. He wasn't Banner at that point in the story. And he gets infected with this parasite that makes him effectively a hybrid of the two. So he's intelligent. He can talk. He's not just a Hulk smash kind of character. Um, I don't know if they're going to do that. Would they? Do you think? I think with everything that's going on, and since it's a Thor movie, um, there may be slight references, but I don't think we're going to get to see any of that sort of stuff on screen. You know, yeah. why he got to space, how he got there, how long has he been there, etc. I think he's just going to come along for the ride. I don't think anybody really cares. They just want to see the Hulk and Thor kicking butt. Yeah. Yeah. And so shifting away from the comedic elements, there is an essence of tragedy in this film, right? This is meant to be the end of the Asgardian civilization. That's the context of Ragnarok. Uh, and we very early in this trailer, get introduced to Kate Blanchett's Hela, who historically and mythologically is portrayed as the daughter of Loki. We don't know if that's going to be the case here um, because the Loki in these films was shown to have grown up kind of chronologically with Thor. It's not like he disappeared for a hot weekend with a troll and had a daughter or three children. I think it's four children in mythology. Well, and we don't know how long, how many Earth years these characters have lived. Right. You yeah. Know. They, you know, they, not... were, they were shown as adolescents, but maybe... Maybe that know. was 300, 3,000, 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I guess once you get to a certain point in your adulthood, you always look the same until you get old. Right. So maybe that's like that. And they're, they're supposed to be immortal, right? They're gods. Or in the Kirbyverse, they're just this aliens that look like humans who have sufficiently advanced technology. But, uh, I don't know. Then, so we also get a, a sneak peek at her destroying Mjolnir, which interesting. Um, maybe they're going for the kind of unworthy Thor kind of approach here. Well, I think he's relied on that. You know, we think of Thor, we think of Mjolnir, sorry. And, um, you know, we're taking away, you know, where's Thor's power? It's not necessarily the hammer. You know, I think they're kind of going that aspect. Let's but show they him. did that with the first movie. Eh. I mean, that really was the whole much. story of the first movie. Yeah, but that was him trying to prove it. He didn't really do much in that movie. If you look at the original Thor movie, it's like really short and really fast. Yeah, he fights a destroyer and that's about it. Yeah. Which is just a giant walking CGI effect. Yeah, the last thing I wanted to talk about with this movie is, did you get a 70s sort of sci-fi vibe out of it? I did. I did. I mean, they're doing that with the logo, but I actually felt that when I watched the trailer, too. Again, I think it has something to do with the approach that the director's taking. Uh, he's absolutely been doing early press and saying, hey, we wanted to have fun, and we wanted this to be kind of a sci-fi romp to embrace the science fiction nature of Thor, which is, again, ironic, since it's really mythology but cool. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's definitely on the list of films I want to see, and I will see day one. Uh, but that's a pretty easy sell for me in a lot of the Marvel movies. 
Um, they build up enough goodwill. The, the stories aren't always deep or interesting, but they're always at least fun. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to them for deep narrative or character development, but they're no. fun. And they're not trying to be impactful. Like, And I think this is part of the problem with the DC movies where they wanted to tell this impactful story about the impact of Superman on the world. You know what? I don't, I don't want to know about that. I want to just see Superman saving people. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that's changing too. So anyway. Um, so the next thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, and I wanted to get your feelings on these sort of things are in game events. Now these have happened I feel like every game is adopting some sort of in-game event, you know, play between this week and there will be a special character or a special DLC costume you can get. Oh no, it went away to the Disney vault and you have to wait another (laughs) year before you can play. Um, But it's all digital now and therefore we can bring it back anytime we want. And uh, some, some things are cool. Like with Overwatch, they're adding a uh, PVE mode. Yep. Which Overwatch doesn't have a default PvE mode. They did this once uh, previously in Halloween. Um, yes, which was a great event. Right, way. but then it went away. So, Which is what made it great. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about why they're doing this. You, you asked that question, right? Well, I think I, I know why. I mean, it, it re-brings interest into a game. I mean, exactly. It, it, bring, it reinvigorates interest in a game that's been out. Overwatch is about to hit a year. Um, but I mean, like you have games like Supermar these mobile games that mobile games are pretty notorious for this now too. But to me, I mean, well, if you look at Temple Run, would do seasonal events. Super Mario Run is now doing seasonal events. This is really about exactly what you said: trying to pull somebody back in when you've got all of these other things going on. How do I dangle this shiny thing in front of you? We've seen it for years in. MMOs and uh, it's for that. It's about showing passage of time in a game in a game. That's largely static. We're not seeing as much of that when it comes to the mobile stuff. I don't know. It's, it's not a new thing. We've been doing it for decades. And do I think that it's an effective tactic? Well, I'll be fair. When I play MMOs, massively multiplayer online games, or things like Destiny, I will wait for certain events and then I will log in and do the events because I do want that cool new stuff. But it also is an excuse for me to try and grab my friends and bring them back in, even if they only spend all their time playing Legend of Zelda. (laughs) I had to bring that up. But how do you feel about these? I mean... I I miss the day where maybe it's just a completionist in me, and I think they they prey on that a little bit. Of oh, you have all these costumes, and there's a chance you might get it, but pretty much, you know, you're not going to unless you play like eighty hours. So that. let's let's think about a different reward mechanic. This that's what this is. Right. This is a reward mechanic. Think about the achievements. Okay, so in the achievement market. If you do all of this on the PlayStation, you'll get a gold or a silver or a platinum. And I never, I never bought into that. Well, I mean, I bought in... I, but it didn't trigger with you, but it's the same thing. Yeah. And I like... I mean, don't don't get me wrong. There will be certain in-game achievements. Um, 
you know, certain games adopt their own achievement system or you have like PlayStation or Xboxes sort of an embodiment of that. And I mean, oh, okay, that sounds cool. But then it, when it's when you go to like Assassin's Creed and it's like collect all 100 feathers that do nothing. And it's like, oh, cool. I did it. That was a waste of time. I just it's not a achievement. But for some people, it's not. Some people, it's what keeps them involved in. The well, game. you know what? I would love to have somebody call in who loves doing the hundred feathers stuff. It's like in the Legend of Zelda, there are uh, nine hundred Koroks. Nine hundred. It's oh, ridiculous. Nine hundred. There's no way I'm gonna get. I'm not even gonna try. I mean, it's absurd. Um, and that's the kind of stuff I don't like. I mean, I think Nintendo's method on that one was we're going to put so many in it you know you'll find them no matter where you're going see you don't like that and i don't like crafting or fishing see you're just not japanese you just need to become <laughs> japanese and you'll love fishing but I, I i get your point they are a reward incentive i just feel like every game or more not every absolutes again a lot more games are adopting this sort of thing even even single player sort of games like Super Mario Run, it's a single player game. I mean, it's a mobile game, and I mean they gotta bring people back. But yeah, yeah, mobile games are especially keyed to that because they're quick hits and their gameplays are usually fairly shallow, and they have to do something to keep you interested. Right. I mean, Pokemon Go burned itself out in the first two months because they didn't have enough content or change things up enough. Now we've got second version of it, and we've got some new things. And, and they they have done some event sort of things too. Yeah, um, a game that will I'm gonna bypass when we'll come back to it, but I want to lead into is Splatoon. Their in-game events, the Splatfests, yes. those were fantastic. They were like one weekend out of a month um, for about 48 hours, and it was just a different environment. The game changed entirely. There was only the Splatfest mode. Um, you know, there was in-game events and it was sort of, and they also played into the social media thing a little bit because you, you had to choose a side, um, whether, um, uh, things I'm thinking of were Autobots versus Decepticons was one of them. Uh, SpongeBob versus Patrick star. <laughs> they did like, they, they worked with a couple of different properties to do it. And then they had cats versus dogs, uh, hot dogs versus marshmallows. So, that's about making that gameplay event viewing, right? And again, you have games, not just Splatoon, but like Destiny does it every weekend. They have raids that people play together and they change every week and they have a different playlist or they do special events or they have a situation where there's a special vendor who only shows up at certain times of the year or they only do Sparrow races, which is their go-karts. Um, it's just a means to keep people engaged. And if you get something cool out of it by putting in these hours in when you normally wouldn't have, great. And if they can sell you something that also fits that target, even better. Now, many of the kind of situations we're describing don't require you to buy anything. Um, Correct. Overwatch, you don't have to buy anything. And you get credit and you unlock things. So it plays into the collectible nature. But at the same time, they put seasons around those collectible items. So the event will have the Spring Olympics. And all of a sudden, you well, there's no such thing as Spring Olympics. But you get what I mean. Yeah. 
but there's Olympic themed costumes and items and emotes. In MMOs, you often have these commercial chests or unlocks, uh, very popular in the free to plays, especially where you can only get a special mount or a special outfit or an emote if you do the event or if you buy the crate. Um, again, it, it creates an artificial demand within the game ecosystem, and it offers something that triggers your reward um, mechanics to keep people addicted, coming back, wanting to see something new, without having to put out a whole bunch of new content. Right. Uh, they're not releasing whole new game modes or they're releasing and testing something. They're cosmetic that might... stuff. I mean, there are some game modes where they've tested and they've brought back. Um, let's let's skip. We talked about Splatoon. Uh, yeah. Splatoon 2 finally has a release date. Um, July. Well, well, Nintendo needs more than three games. Granted. And this is a big potential seller for people who weren't already on board for the Switch. Well... I, I agree with you. Um, they've already said that the Switch is the fastest selling console that Nintendo has ever had. That Zelda has over a 100% attach rate to the console. Yeah, everybody who bought a Switch <laughs> bought Zelda. Yeah. Big surprise. Um, they didn't buy Super Bomberman? <laughs> um, but back to Splatoon, we've got a... Sum- it's in July, which is pretty uncommon for a big game. So... Um, you're right. The Switch needs more games. It's, But I think compared to other release cycles that Nintendo's done, we've got a Zelda game coming out. We've got ARMS. Think of what you will, but I think it's a little bit bigger than what you may be thinking of it. Yeah, I don't think so. Meh. You've got Splatoon, a big yeah. multiplayer game. You've got Mario coming. You've got Zelda and Mario coming out within the same year, which is already unprecedented on, on a lot of levels. Well, to be fair... To Nintendo, that's a great marketing approach. To be unfair to Nintendo, it's because they moved the development of Zelda over to the new platform after it had already been in development for three years. Yeah. So it was easy for them to manufacture this situation. But they needed to because the Wii U already didn't have many. It had, what, four games? (laughs) Yeah. And like we said, not even like two were So we're getting four games this year, so... Yeah, one of which is a port. Uh, two of which, two of which are ports. Mario Kart. Port? Oh, Mario. Yeah, Mario Kart's coming out. Yeah. Which again, you have to. My perspective on this is a lot of people didn't get Wii U's. So for Nintendo's, from Nintendo's side, it makes sense to kind of re-release these games that they put a lot of effort into sure. from a cost perspective. So let's let's shift back to talking about Splatoon and let's not let's go back to Splatoon two. I am super psyched about Splatoon 2. Splatoon... Wait, wait. You what? I'm super psyched. You are? Yeah. I cannot believe that. Am I not showing my excitement right now? Uh, no. Splatoon, um, I think is one of the best things to come out of the Wii U cycle. And from Nintendo in the past decade. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking Nintendo... Nintendo came out again. We talked about Nintendo doing something they've never done before. Uh... A multiplayer shooter. Mm-hmm. It's post-apocalyptic, which is really big. And I think you wouldn't look at that and say, "Oh, it's post-apocalyptic." It's a stretch, but it is um, anthropomorphic squids. Yeah, it's just cutesy design. It's not. Anti- they did. They did a, a co-op. I mean, this came out the. It came out with a year before Overwatch or the same year as yeah. Overwatch. Yeah, it was a year. 
Year before. I can't remember. It's been out for two or three years. Two years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've got a team-based shooter um, instead of, you know, just a Call of Duty style. A very objective-based suit shooter. And they, they killed it. It's a fun, fun game. They adopted the DLC strategy of buy the game. We're just going to continue to release content, do in-game events. Yep. Um, and a lot of people don't realize, but that actually has a pretty awesome single-player mode in that game as well. No, and actually, one of the things that makes me interested in this, if I ever do get a Switch... You will. It, I will. I, I Of course I will, but... <laughs> It'll be a while. Um, Is the horde mode? The co-op, yeah. Yeah, they added a horde mode. Um, they've introduced a new race of characters. What do they call them? Like salmon, evil salmon? Yeah, they're even s- evil salmon. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it looks it looks fun. It, it It's nice to see them move outside of the multiplayer and kind of do Nintendo's take on the horde mode sort of mm-hmm. gameplay. Um, so I'm, I'm super psyched. I mean... I don't expect much out of it in terms of, you know, they're going to add new weapons, a couple new mechanics. It's going to be need a, to. They don't They don't need to. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I mean, we went we went when we talked about Zelda. That was Splatoon was Nintendo's first entry and they nailed it again. I mean, you got to give them credit. I do. Well, no, I I love playing Splatoon. Yeah. I don't own it, but yeah. I like playing it. I just wish they had split screen. That was like the biggest oversight for that game is they didn't have any. They had a two player sort of co-op split screen in the first game that wasn't very fun. Which we know they have now because the whole platform is built around playing with multiple people on the same six inch screen or whatever it is. Right. And so that's great. I mean, we're seeing them evolve the concept without taking too many risks. And also in this context, because of the impact of the Switch, they're probably going to get some exposure that they didn't get with the Wii U. Yeah. And I mean, anybody that has played Splatoon, they're going to have everybody kind of coming back and backing up the game and saying, oh my gosh, you guys need to play this game. Well, it's like, uh, I look at Splatoon kind of like Pikmin, which is probably not a perfect analogy. I was going to say, where are you going with this? (laughs) Uh, Pikmin was a kind of a new experimental gameplay style. That they launched on a console that... What are you talking about? It's a real-time strategy game, just like StarCraft. It's the exact same thing. Uh, We'll agree to disagree (laughs) on that one. Um, But, I mean, so they did something experimental. It caught on. It didn't have a huge sales impact in America. Correct. It was really big in Japan. They released the second one, and then they realized that as they upgraded their hardware... They could better utilize that hardware to tell the same style of game. And so they brought it forward onto the Wii and the Wii U. And and in the Wii and the Wii U, the Pikmin gameplay made far more sense to me than it did on the GameCube. Yeah, the control mechanisms. So for the for the Wii, they came out with the new control series that they did. They released a cup re-released a couple games. Pikmin one and two were one of those games. They did Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, which uh, for those that do not know, was a game that debuted on the GameCube in which you controlled Donkey Kong through bongos. In yes. fact, I love that game, but it's admittedly, it looks absurd from the outside, <laughs> but it is really a lot of fun. But you're right. The, I mean, the, the control scheme made a lot more sense. It was a lot much easier to point and click yeah. for that sort of gameplay. And uh, Pikmin 3 adopted the gamepad, and it made sense there as well. So... This is another sign of Nintendo realizing that 
they can introduce and experiment and then evolve. And that's good. Yeah. No, I, I it's just really surprising for for me as a Nintendo fan to see them come out with a game and have a sequel to that game within two years. I mean, it's not the annual release cycle, but you know, they took the hype and it's I was expecting a when the Switch was announced, I was expecting a port of Splatoon. Here's some more levels. Here's a couple new weapons. Yeah, the Mario Kart. And it would have so, it would have sold, but they're doing a full fledged sequel for this, um, and you know, kind of going back and redoing some things, adding game modes, new map. I mean, it's everything's new. So yep, and that's coming out very soon, July. So to be sooner than you, Sean. I need to know about Persona. Um, okay, Persona what do you Five know? came out, or is it coming out? It's out. I I've never played a Persona game. Um, and I'm a fan of JRPGs, but why haven't I played a Persona game? Do you really want the answer to that? Tell me, Sean. Because you haven't decided to stop playing Zelda for 50 <laughs> years. I'm I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play games. I play- no. So here's the thing. Persona, even going back to the original Persona, which was on the PlayStation, um, and moving in Persona two, three, four, and now at five, is a very weird proposition if you were to just talk to somebody about it so the big game that most people discovered in the persona franchise was persona 3 and persona 3 was best known because it's the game where your main character puts a gun up to their head and pulls the trigger and then their persona appears that was a little controversial because these are all teenagers these are high school students so if you're the type of person who doesn't like the kind of anime trope of everybody being teenagers in a school, these are probably not the games for you. However, it's part strategic kind of action RPG, traditional JRPG with a over-the-shoulder view, and part social simulator. So for the Japanophiles out there, who want to imagine they understand life in Japan, though they live in America, it gives you that slice of life because a large part of the games, especially from three forward, is building your social links to make your powers more powerful and to give you more options. Um, so Persona 3 introduced this concept and you kind of were this outsider and there's this mix of anime, full mo- well, not full motion, but animated cutscenes and actual in-engine visuals. Um, it, it's probably 60% voice acted, so there's still a lot of reading, like any good JRPG. Um, but the stories are different in that they're really talking about self-discovery or elements of self. Um, they're very highly philosophical, and you don't get a lot of that with your beat-em-up RPGs. Save um, the world. Well, you're not always saving the world. I mean, there's elements of that, but sometimes you're just trying to discover who you are and who the characters around you are. And all of these characters, what's really great about the Persona games, the characters are, they start out at what you think are stereotypes. So you've got the one, and and we're talking about Japanese cultural stereotypes more than anything. So you've got this kind of master student relationship, even within the same high school class. The senpai thing, right? Which we've seen memes about. Notice me, senpai. Yeah, right. If you don't get the context for that, it's 
it's the junior student wants to be mentored by the senior student. And there's elements of that in all of this. Well, the senpai will be somebody who's very strict and formal. And, and as the game unfolds, you start to see their personal traumas and the things that make them kind of who they are. And often that veneer cracks and you get to see that they're deeply flawed people and they're struggling against these expectations. And Is it, that not a story for life? It is. That's, that's actually why these games are really good. Um, the main protagonists are usually the least interesting characters in the game. And I think that's okay. Uh, in Persona 5, you are playing a... Well, traditionally, you've been playing these kind of Mary Sues, right? These kids who come into this situation, discover their powers, and then become the... Everybody loves them, and, everyone, and they they have no trouble making friends, and, and, and they get involved in these grand conspiracies. In 5... You're a kid who did the right thing and got punished because you did it to the wrong person. Uh, basically, your kid starts out with a criminal record, and he's been sent away to Tokyo to live with a guardian because his parents don't want the dishonor of him being at home. He was expelled from school. And what he actually did is he's walking home for one night, and he encounters a woman being forced to do something against her will by a man. And he intercepts and stops this abuse. But it turns out that this man is a very powerful figure in the community. And basically has him arrested and charged with assault. And all anybody knows about is, hey, he's the kid who beat up this guy. And he's got a criminal record and he's violent. And that's a very big social stigma in Japan. Not that it isn't in America too, but we right. tend we tend to not care about those things as much, you know, or know about them because our society doesn't talk as much about that, right? Violence is just normal in America. It's very different in Japanese culture. Um, Very under the ground, right? So you have your punks and your street kids, but, you know, for a good kid to have gotten an assault conviction completely blows his life. And, you know, so it's, it's hard about, to come back from that. It, it's very hard. And even when he moves to this other school and starts to build these new relationships, everybody knows about it. And you start to uncover some interesting um, backstory and information about what's going on with um, some strange things. You start seeing strange things. You encounter strange things. Uh, you find that one day going to school, you show up to the front of the school and it looks like a castle. Oh. You, the characters actually transition to another realm. And they don't know anything about it. So you're discovering along with the main character. And it's it's a game that's going to take probably 80 to 100 hours. But uh, in in the end, it's telling a, a pretty big story. and it's But it's a personal story. And, and the new one's about kind of accepting that sometimes bad things happen. And you have to make the best of them. And good people can still be put into bad situations and how you respond. And they talk about them being the thief of the heart. And it's typically weirdo Japanese stuff, right? From an American, it, you may go into this if you've no experience to the anime culture and go, well, this is just bizarre. Visually, it is a stunning game. I mean, it's just, it's fun to watch. 
it's it's also fun to um even leveling up is the, the visual design of the 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 game itself is just amazing the ui and the songs the music it's good so what what's the gameplay is it traditional turn-based jrpg it combat? is it is and it's really your traditional rochambeau kind of rock paper scissors so you you have enemies that are weak against one thing and you have to figure out what that is and you apply employ those weaknesses to get an advantage in combat and then all of your characters attack at once but you're really focused on kind of uncovering these secret agendas that are happening with all these adults around you and again it plays into the idea that here's this high school student who is surrounded by adults who aren't exactly good people and that kind of leads into this bigger conspiracy and it has to do with the government and it all actually comes back to that initial precipitating event where you stop the guy from doing something with that woman gotcha. it's all related now are the persona games similar to final fantasy where each game is a self-contained story do they take place in the same universe they do not take place in the same universe. They are self-contained. Um, there's similarities in the game systems and how things work. Right. But and sort of like themes Final Fantasy. And, and stuff like that. Right. But, so anybody can just pick up Persona 5. They don't need to have played any of the other Persona games. Correct. And, okay. Yep. Yeah, every every new game is a new opportunity. And you recommend it for any way it's a fan of storytelling and JRPGs? Yes. Um, and if you're... Not a huge fan of the anime kind of style. Um, I would encourage you to kind of turn your filter off because it's worth tolerating some of that to get to the good parts of the story. Now, here's a warning. It takes about 15 hours to get into the game. It's slow. It's typical JRPG. Yep. They, they unfold the systems very slowly. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of cutscenes. Yeah. You'll have to let the story unfold. If you don't have the patience for that, stay away. I I typically haven't played I'm trying to think of the last RPG I played. Um I've stayed away for a while because they're just so time consuming. Yeah. Um you you really have to and you have to stick with that's the game you're going to play well, for. Well, and a if while. you don't play it a lot, this is the problem I have with Final Fantasy even all the years I've been playing. I I Final Fantasy 15 you relearn right. after relearn the mechanics. We talked about that. Yeah, before. you take you take three weeks off and you forget how to play the game. Yeah, or where you were, or what you were doing, or what. Yeah, and the games have gotten better. So, Persona Five does a good job of telling you where you are in the story and what you've done. Um, the game systems aren't that hard to pick up. Final Fantasy Fifteen does the same thing, but the game systems are harder to pick up. So, well, so you highly recommend it. How far are you into the? I've spent about uh, 16 hours. That's pretty good. So you've, the ball has dropped, so to speak, in terms yeah, of the plot. I, I, I'm finally to the point where I have most of the members of the party, um, and I kind of know what's going on. Gotcha. The other thing I'll say is the game is told in a flashback mechanism. Mm-hmm. So your kink, main character is actually being interrogated, and you're recalling all of these events. So are there like time jumps? Yes, okay. there are time jumps. Well, uh, so you highly recommend that one? Absolutely. Okay. Let's move on to our last tangent before we get into our main topic, and that is Bayonetta has been released for the PC via Steam. 
which is kind of amazing. Since no one knew it was coming, nobody knew Bayonetta was even being ported, and all of a sudden it shows up in the Steam listing and everybody's like, hey, I can buy Bayonetta. Well, you didn't buy it the first time because it didn't sell amazingly in America. Um, though it tried to sell itself based on the titillation aspect. Right. I mean, Bea's clothes are her hair, and and it's just weird. I, I'm a huge Bayonetta fan. I Well, I'm a huge Platinum fan in general, but I yeah. love Bayonetta, and Bayonetta 2 is amazing. Uh, I would say Bayonetta 2 is even better than the first one. See, I didn't get to play 2. I tried to buy it, and it was sold out by the time I tried yeah, and to buy that's, it. I mean, you can buy it digitally through your Wii U console. I mean, first off, Bayonetta 2 is a Wii U exclusive because uh, Platinum needed help publishing the game. Uh, the first one was published through Sega, mm-hmm. and they had an idea for a sequel. And lo and behold, out of anybody, Nintendo came yeah. to the rescue in this one. And it is it is a mature game, which it's uh you know well, and- violence sexuality all that stuff and nintendo comes and says yeah you know what here's a game go ahead and put it on our console you know what you can dress bayonetta up as uh mario or fox mcleod or link or samus hey and you know what we're gonna put her in smash brothers and she's in smash <laughs> brothers she has an amiibo what? coming out what are you thinking none of this <laughs> makes any sense it doesn't so it, it does surprise me that the first one's on console um, you know, since Nintendo published the second one, I don't know if we'll ever see that outside of a Nintendo console. Will we see a re-release on the Switch? Bayonetta two, uh, I think, sold even poorer than the first one. Um, well, just because, and it, because and it, it included was the first game. Yeah, it did. So it's and 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 they're really good action games. Platinum does. They're the the top of the pedigree in action games, and Bayonetta, I think, is is up there. Um, so yeah, it's going to get more people released, uh, released, more people exposed to the first Bayonetta. Um, <laughs> exposed may not be the word you want to use. There. Well, Bayonetta will expose you <laughs> to Bayonetta. No. Um, and if you like action games, if you're not familiar, if, if you want a quick fun beat up that has, you know, it's easy to learn, but hard to master, you know, yeah. and those games are punishing, but it is fun, and nobody does boss fights or raises every platinum game that comes out. It's it starts off and it's like, oh my gosh, the train's moving at a hundred miles an hour, and they're like, oh well, the train just fell off a cliff, and you're fighting on a jet now. I mean, that actually <laughs> happened in Bayonetta too. Yes, it does. Um, they're just high adrenaline, fun games, and they're the combat's deep. It's not just hit a a bunch of times like the Arkham games, where it's like, oh, counter, counter hit counter i mean if you want to take the time and learn the combos you can get really really advanced did i I hurt your feelings no you didn't hurt my feelings uh but i disagree with you i think arkham actually does have a fairly deep combat system no it doesn't that's one thing we'll disagree with it's all it's all about combat flow uh, no, I, i i won't i don't disagree with you it's fun and there's a flow it's very simplistic well okay and and the way that it makes it more complicated is it just throws more at you. That's all that game does. There, once you've learned the four enemy types, it's the same throughout the game. And we can no, I I'm not gonna argue with you yeah. on, especially in Arkham um, Knight, which yeah, I mean it, it's fun. Don't get me wrong, I love the Arkham games, but the combat is it never evolved from the first one too much. No, 
Um, any final thoughts on Bayonetta on PC? I'm just surprised. And yeah, well, it's Sega. like you. I find it they're fun games. I I really enjoyed Bayonetta. I, I just I don't know what the motive is. I mean, I think Sega was the one pushing this, but I, I mean, so. I'm just weird to see where and it goes. It's, it's 4K graphics. I mean, it's yeah. really high quality. Um, it I I don't know. See, here's my I'm torn on console games that get ported to PC, which is got to play with a console controller. I tend to like my PC experiences to be mouse and keyboard. I don't see, and I haven't played it, so I could be completely off base. I don't see how you could play that game. No, it's a controller keyboard. game. It's a it's a it's an action game. It's, you need two thumbsticks. You need multiple buttons and and triggers, because there's again you get into the depth of the combat. You have to be able to hit multiple things at once and move at the same time. Well, and the placement of the control controller for the dodge and your strong and light attacks, and you know they all kind of flow with where they're placed in a controller. And playing on a keyboard, I would think, would be kind of yeah. on a more on not very intuitive. Well, it's like trying to play Dark Souls on a keyboard. I don't get it. Yeah. And you can, but why? So, I it's it's just really weird to see it. I mean, I'm great it's out there. I don't know if we're going to see more of Bayonetta. I think that's the hope from everybody is we're going to see another one. Well, it's, um, it's the biggest thing to me is that this was kind of like a surprise. And we don't get a lot of surprises these days. Yeah. Especially if it's something where they think they can cash in on the nostalgia or the, you know, kind of right. counterculture. They didn't tell anybody. It just showed up. Well, it's not entirely true. They had Sega or I think Platinum had a secret countdown timer a week ago and everybody speculated this is what it was, but there was no, this is what's happening in a week. Yeah, but even a week isn't yeah. enough to build hype. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, hype is what it's all about. Yeah. Which leads us right well, into this week's topic. Would you like to join me on this train? Would you, Sean? I don't know. What why train don't, why is Why don't that? you jump on? Is it the fourth 410 into Yuma? Come on, just come up the stairs here. You ready? Yeah, sure. Here we go. I'm not sure I have enough tickets for this. John, I'd like to welcome you to the hype train. We're on a one-way trip to hype amazingness. Everything where we're going is the best. It is absolutely the best. You can't see it. It's over. If you look over that horizon there, you can sort of see it. But I'm telling you, it is going to be the best thing you've uh-huh. ever seen. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm telling you, it's uh, it's bigger and you know better what? than anything. Do you want me to buy done. my train trip? In six months today, based on what you're telling me? you Yeah, yeah. you bought your ticket. We'll be there in about a year, a year and a half. Um, there may be delays, but I'm telling you, when we get there, oh, it is choice. It is the best thing you've ever seen. What I'm describing to you is Dr. Mario 2. Finally, they came out with a sequel to Dr. Mario. Instead of three colors, there are four. Oh my gosh, this is the best thing that happened to puzzle games ever. That's all alive. Dr. Mario 2 is not coming out on any side. But what we're talking about today wow. is the hype train. That was a lot of build up for this. 
<laughs> that's what hype is. That's why I did it. That, yeah, it plays into the theme. And and, we're, and exactly like we normally talk, we're going to under deliver based on that hype. <laughs> exactly. So the hype train. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I've I've been uh, susceptible to it. From yeah, time I'm looking to time. around the room and I can tell. Um, I think you've been susceptible to it. No, maybe no, maybe no. once or twice. Above it. No. <laughs> Every, the hype train comes for all of us. So I thought I was way too cynical to buy into the hype train. Oh, shut up. You've pre-ordered games too. <laughs> I, I pre-ordered lots of games, actually. I pre-ordered the mother of the hype train right now, which is the Shadows of War $300 oh. edition from GameStop. You don't even know if that game's going to be great or not. You just you're basing everything off the first one and your love of nostalgia and Lord of the Rings. You don't even know. You don't even know if that is going to be good. In fact, in a statue that may not actually get produced. And here's where I can tell you that story. Anybody who did, we talked about Arkham a few minutes ago. So Arkham Knight, there was this super exclusive premium edition that came with a Batmobile that never actually came out. I remember that because they couldn't manufacture it. <laughs> that was a uh, let's design this amazing thing. Let's not talk to any engineers or <laughs> this is going to happen or have a supplier. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. And the reason I bring up Arkham specifically, what company did that? I don't know. Warner Brothers Games. Who releases the Lord of the Rings games? Oh, no. Are you serious? Yeah. <sighs> Sean! And to, to put my personal life and my professional life together here for a second, GameStop just got hacked. Yeah, I know. Actually, my credit card got stolen because of GameStop. And I pre-ordered this a month ago, and my information is now sitting in GameStop's system. That would not have happened had I not pre-ordered because I haven't done this before with GameStop, which I was forced to do by it's Warner a GameStop Brothers. exclusive? Because it's exclusive to GameStop. Well, um, so yeah, per, I, I'm just know, as much a victim. What I should say is, you know, really, Sean, um, speaking from my experience, you should never pre-order a game before it comes out because you're paying for something that you don't know what it is. Okay. You Let me how give you an example where I did that. The game wasn't great, but the loot was... A Pip-Boy. Hey, yeah. <laughs> so I have a Pip-Boy, and everybody remarks about it. it. It makes my man cave, right? It is, yeah, it is a defining feature. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, you got one. Yeah, well, it's because I pre-ordered something that I figured would be okay, even if it wasn't great. And it was good. It was, I, it was I, good. I, I like Fallout 4, not as much as some of the other. It wasn't, it wasn't Fallout 3 in terms of breakthrough, but it was good. And it definitely wasn't New Vegas. It wasn't, yep. But, uh, you know, so this is the situation, right? And we're seeing, we can talk about the collector's edition thing too. It's a kind of a separate thing. I mean, I love when, see now you're talking about pre-orders and that's one thing. Um, what's something that's completely different is Kickstarter. See, when you go to a Kickstarter, you're <laughs> investing in a product and, you know, you have these backer rewards and stretch goals and that's completely different than pre-ordering a game. Uh, no, it's not. Oh wait, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But we're really not talking about pre-ordering here. We're talking, we're talking about, about well, the fuel. The fuel that fans the flames of making a pre-order 
is you're going to get the super special sticker for your coffee mug in the bat cave if you buy this edition. Exactly. Or the other side of it, which is not incentive-based, is when a developer gathers fanboys and girls, let's be gender neutral, fan people, that sounds like a subterranean race. The fan people emerge <laughs> from their pods. There's no politically correct way to speak <laughs> English. I don't know why we try. But uh, they get a bunch of people who are hyped about these products. And let's be fair, we're not talking about culture here. We're talking about commercial product that... Um, yeah, I just found this out the other day. But all these companies that make all these games I love are actually corporations that are basically just trying to generate profits. What? Yes. Nintendo isn't a co-op? No. They, they're they trying to make money off of my desires. And they're licensing the likeness of all their characters to a bunch of other companies. Yeah. And a theme park, which I'm going to go to. <laughs> <laughs> Zelda World. <laughs> Uh, but the bigger problem that I've seen over the years, and, and you know, I'm a quote-unquote former games journalist. As somebody who was a part of this engine, right, I would do interviews, I would do previews, I'd go to preview events. And 15, 20 years ago, when I was active in that, um, the big way that publishers built excitement in the early days was to recruit these experts like myself to come out and write with constraint with a tightly curated exposure to a game that would lead to press that would encourage fans to be excited. We don't see that in a lot of other industries. You mean sitting right next to you, I still subscribe to gaming magazines, which are sort of an antiquated thing these days. But I mean, a lot of it was through that sort of thing where, Oh, we've got an unrestricted access. Here's a preview of this game coming out. Here's an article we've written about it. You don't, you know, we could say the IGNs of the world. Those are still there, but what you're saying is that's kind of not what's happening anymore. It isn't what's happening. Actually, the game journalists are fighting with the kind of crowdsourced thing because what these marketing companies have figured out, and for those of you I'm going to reveal this super secret here, is that it's much easier to manipulate streamers and YouTubers to tell the story without having to add any legitimacy or neutrality or journalistic integrity into the equation. Well, journalism is already kind of antiquated in America in 2017 as well. Um, but that's a side topic. Yeah, we're, we're not diving into that but, one. Um, yeah, I know what you're talking about with, with uh, again, the game I've been playing for over a month now. Let's I, trust me, fans. I've got sitting there. Oh, that's, that's, just, that's, that's Zelda. just another copy of the game. <laughs> I bought. Um, I'm actually looking to play uh, near Automata next. That's been requested from one of our listeners. So really, um, yeah, one, I think our our listener. Um, Is that so your that's, wife? that's next on my list because I love <laughs> platinum games. Um, but anyhow, Breath of the Wild. What you're talking about? Um, the press tour pre Breath of the Wild um, was the first time they did. Well, they did this with Star Fox as well. Yeah, they got a bunch of YouTubers. Um, some popular, some not so popular, 
And they brought him in for a day and they said, hey, you've got access to Miyamoto. You can ask Miyamoto questions. I mean, I'm sure they kind of went back and said, well, don't ask him that. You can't ask that. But They did. I'm sure they but, did. Because that's the way those work. And I can tell you from the other yeah. side. <laughs> but, you know, it was you could see the giddiness of all of these YouTubers getting they're fans. Miyamoto. Because they're fans. And it was a fan perspective, um, which is good. And from the marketing, I mean, it's bad because you're not getting, like you said, the unbiased questioning are able, you know, and they're very controlling of their message when they do those, you know. Yeah. Um, well, it's a lot of money. I mean, and right. they're not paying a marketing firm to because they could just say, hey, you go do that on your own YouTube channel. No, 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 no. You can collect ads on that. That's fine. We're going to get our money back on these games. But it's it's. I mean, you could talk about you could go into the whole traditional press with review embargoes and everything. And this is something I have to explain to my friends and for you listeners that don't know um, when. So as a game critic or reviewer, um, publishers will send review copies of games for free to reviewers in advance of a game's release. Um now, they have things called embargoes, and what those do is they, A, say, you can't release your review until this date, because that, and that's that's sort of good, because that also makes sure that the first site that publishes the review isn't the first, and that's the first review that everybody sees. See, that's a false view, too. You think so? I don't think the world works that way anymore. I, I It used to, but I mean, no, that was- when I was writing- Absolutely, it did. that was a, that was a goal. Um, the other thing that embargoes do is they say, okay, you can you can have previews of this game a week in advance, but you can only play the first level and talk about the first level, and you can't talk about this, you can't talk about that, you can't talk all about these things. Um, now that is as much about controlling the message as it is not spoiling the game experience for people who right. haven't had a chance to play it yet, and. Uh, a common, not always true, but there's a common thing with embargoes. If you see a review that comes out the day of or the day before of a game, mm-hmm. the quality of that game isn't necessarily going to be the best. I mean, so it depends on the, the on movie the, industry does the same thing. Yeah. And that's where this was learned. If you see a review that's like a nine, four weeks in advance, then it's probably going to be a pretty good solid. I mean, that's not always true. It's not uh, a, a strict formula, but... right. Um, you know, now with, with the other things they're doing where they're controlling a message, they can publish people's reactions to games months in advance. Well, it's and it's not even a review because it's an unfinished product. And and here's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this. And I put Persona 5 into our tangents. With the release of Persona 5, Atlas, the company that published it, came out and said, we don't mind if you stream it. Now, once you've purchased the game as a streamer, right? Not the people that they sent free copies to. But you don't we don't want you to stream anything after seven seven in the game time. Because that'll ruin the experience for everybody. And so they started to threaten people that would do that with um copyright infringement warnings. And this is not the first time they've done it. Atlas or just in general, because Nintendo is notorious about this with their um, they came out with a streaming program via YouTube where they get like, yeah, some absurd number of residuals or, you know, from the the, advertising, the advertising. And I mean, they've taken down videos. I mean, and I don't agree with that at all. 
let people stream the game. If somebody wants to play the game to the end and stream it and says, you know, people are pretty good about announcing spoilers in this day and age of Twitter yeah. or Facebook. But but if I'm going to sit there and watch 100 hours of somebody playing a game, I'm probably still going to play it. If you're yeah, I mean, if you're if you're that invested in that game and want to watch, I mean, I watched hours of content of Zelda before it came out. Um it didn't stop you. It didn't stop me. Hasn't um, stopped you. And it will never stop you. It will you. never stop me. <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't I don't like I don't like the control of somebody talking about a game. I don't like that in any aspect. Once it's out there, it's out there. People are going to find out about it one way or another. Why restrict yeah. the message? Because people are going to find out about it one way or another. So it's the opposite of the hype thing, right? There's a few reasons you control the message. You can control it because you want to maximize the return of purchases and your investment, which is much like a movie. Right. When I have a big blockbuster and I release it in February, that's a sign that the studio doesn't think it can go toe to toe in the main movie season. You could say the same thing about summer games releases, too. I mean, that's sort of like an off traditionally tradition, though that's changing. Yeah. Right. We, we see a lot of games getting pushed into the summer release cycle because it took longer to develop them and they still want to get it out. Well, also, and I think with the constant you know, release Twitters and all that yeah. people to keep, they're realizing, Hey, we've got to spread this out over the year instead of, well, and, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to get. I mean, it's easy to get buried during, you know, uh holiday season with big game budgets and spring. And these don't everything they missed. that time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this was a complaint that we'd been talking about for years. All of the big releases come out between August and December. And, the average consumer who's not you or I doesn't buy more than two or three games. I mean, they've they've literally got to make a decision like they, of what they want to play. Yeah. They don't prioritize their spend above their food like we do. Um, food. <laughs> I can play Zelda without eating. You could go on a fast for 50 days, just drink water. <laughs> it's not the healthiest thing, but you could do it. Uh, but th- that's... Kind of the problem we have, and when we talk about controlling the message around games, how much does it cost to send a digital code of a game that you produced and published to a YouTuber or a Twitch streamer and let them give you free exposure and free advertising? I'm going to go, Bob, I'm going to say that's uh, less than a dollar. Well, I don't. I mean, we need to put a number on it, but (laughs) it's inexpensive compared to having to produce a disc, put it into a packaging, mailing it to a media organization or a newspaper or a magazine or a a game website, and then count on them to actually give you priority treatment. The other thing that the hype cycle does is it ensures that when your game comes out, people care. We've got so many titles coming out for so many different platforms. If you think back to the crash of the Atari era, what caused the Atari to crash as, as a product? Shovelware. Was, yeah. Basically, Not Shovel Knight, Shovelware. was a bunch of games just being put out onto the market. They flooded the market with opportunity for people. They weren't good. 
and eventually and press was a lot harder to get so when you went and bought a game you were basically basing it off of the box art and what the description was off the end of the box it was oh, a it's a space shooter and you take over the the helm of this and look at these pretty hand-drawn graphics oh my gosh you can't play it away to play this yeah <laughs> yars revenge yeah the box art for yars revenge beautiful beautiful art it's like the album cover art of the 70s well we don't have album album cover art anymore we don't have video game cover art anymore really or manuals well we definitely don't have manuals that costs money <laughs> you if you can't figure out the game then you're just stupid shut up and go away thank you for your money but um and then you've got websites that will teach you every aspect of a game for free or for a limited amount of money anyways so why should a publisher put that stuff in there? That's money they can save and let somebody else do the work, which is exactly what happens with hype. So let's talk about technology. There's this concept in technology, and it's not just video games. It's uh, adoption of security technologies or information technologies, and it's called the Gartner hype cycle. I think it applies to... I've seen similar things with uh, taking on tasks or managing. Basically, you know, you have a an expectation of what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And then you get in the middle of it and you're like, oh, my God, I'm just overwhelmed. And right. Then at the end, you realize that. You come back up. Yeah. So it, it's, it is a, it's a cycle. It's a trough in the middle and then you come back up. And that's called the trough of disillusionment. Make because you- the product does not do what you expected it to do. That doesn't necessarily mean they promised it would. It means that you in your own mind have built this up. Right. And then you get it and it doesn't deliver on all. It it doesn't make sliced bread. Like the successor to the amazing Mega Man games, Mighty Number 9. Yes. That's an exact. That's a perfect. Perfect example. Um, Except in that case, there was false promise from the publisher and the developer. In this case, we're saying that hype happens sometimes without any of that. Um, it's also the whole peer concept. I, I fall prey to this all the time. I'm just, it's just how my brain works. I build up things bigger than what they are just, just in general in life. Um, like, Oh, we're going to host a party and it's going to be the best party. And it, do you know what I mean? What I'm talking about? No, I like your parties. Well, okay, bad example. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> I built like think Christmas time when I was a young kid. I was yeah. like, oh my god, what am I getting? I hate surprises. So this I, is a human problem. It's a human problem. But I, I, I have a, I have it really bad. I build up things bigger and and before I even know what they're going to be. And I yeah. really what I, the rational thing to do. I do have rationality in my brain is to say. Just forget about it. Just wait. Just yeah. don't worry about it until it comes out. It's very hard to do, especially when you're being bombarded with all of these channels and streamers. And, and and you're like, oh, well, I just want to take one look. Just one one peek. So I kind of envy people who don't know as much um, about products, games, development, any of the They don't read Yeah, they're the like, websites. oh, Thor Ragnarok's coming out? Oh, they're making another one? Like, in me, I'm like, oh, my God, the Thor trailer's coming out. I got to watch it, watch it, watch it. Well, and I know everything that's going to happen in that movie already. Yeah, but I'm still going to watch it. Exactly. For me, it's not about being disappointed in that. 
for me, it's about, I don't know. Hype can be a good thing. It can, it can get us excited about things that probably we shouldn't be. Well, we have a link to a, a video. Um, Kyle Bossman did a really good video about this, about basically his analogy was with game de- with with the game consoles. Imagine Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft. And each of them are witches. Okay. And they're trying to bring you to their gingerbread house. Right? Because like, you're delicious. Hands on Gretel. <laughs> and um, what they do is they lay gumdrops. You know, like, oh, here's the trailer for the Spider-Man game that's coming out for PS4. You know? Oh, look at that. It looks great. Oh, it's it's over a year out oh god of war oh my gosh that's not coming out for two years you know they build that that hype or what they do or the gumdrops to their oh yeah. no we don't have this yet and but eventually come, it's not gumdrops it becomes a cookie yeah exactly you know come, come on in i mean we've oh we've got all of these things that's what you know the hype it's it's to get people enticed to buy a nintendo switch which you think um, from your perspective is there aren't enough gumdrops to get a Nintendo switch now. And there's not, there's nothing this year that's really getting you to go for it. And I think it's a lot, a lot of people that are having trouble buying the switch or I mean, not buying the switch, but getting on board with the switch. Cause they're not seeing, you know, Oh yeah, you've got a Zelda. Oh, Zelda's good. But do I want to lay $300 down for one Zelda game? Right. You know, they don't, they haven't. So that's an example where it didn't work. On right. Me. Now, the biggest gumdrop that all these companies use uh, is E3. Yep. It's coming up in a month or Been two. there a few times. Um, God, E3 is the hype train center. It is the grand central or, of hype. Let's back out a second. What's going on right now as we record this that is the exact parallel of that with Star Wars? Uh, just today, Star Wars released a teaser trailer for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Because of Celebration, which is an annual conference where they bring all the Star Wars fans together and market stuff to them. Tell them tidbits of things and expose them to people. Comic-Con's another one. To get hyped. Yeah, right? comic book Comic-Con's movies. another big one. That's, that's what that's turned into. Um, so they used to be the gathering of fans to exchange fan information. What these have all evolved Big into. Big companies have said, oh, hey, your little convention there where you're having fun. We're coming too. And we're going to tell We've you stuff. We've got stuff we want to give you and sell to you. Yes. Um, because actually we're corporations that are trying to generate a profit. Shh, don't tell anybody. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. So is there an example of a time that you can think of when hype was a good thing? Um. Hmm. Not that question. the object of hype was good, but the hype itself. I I get that way about any Marvel movie. Um, but I, you didn't I, like Doctor Strange. I I did. I rewatched it over the weekend, and I'm still sort of like, Meh, it was good. It's fun. I'm glad I watched it. But um, but I get that way before a movie. Like, oh my gosh, can't wait. Like, I just get, it's a, it's a talking point with friends, and, and and when you have friends with that have similar interests, fans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun to talk to them. Like, oh my gosh, what's is Thor gonna ride on Hulk's back? And are they gonna do a you know? Are they gonna do like a dosi do or something and beat up people? I mean, it, it's the I, it's what? it's the I don't know. It's a bad. <laughs> don't worry about that. It's okay. It was spontaneous. It wasn't recorded. 
it's the possibility of what can happen and yeah. just your mind hype isn't hype is good and bad both ways with that because it builds it, it, your brain goes places and it's exciting to think of possibilities my brain goes places and usually it doesn't come back not not as good <laughs> i i'm no I'm i think way. your point's valid i just it's uh, it's fun to think what if i mean what what oh my so gosh that's really what it's about which is we are enticed to use our imagination to imagine the value or the entertainment or the information that something is going to provide us. And then at the end of the day, reality rarely measures up. Right. So um, the biggest Nintendo's always doing hype, but the biggest hype. Oh, my gosh. You can ask my wife about this. Smash Brothers. Whenever Smash Brothers comes out. <sighs> and I know you're not a huge fan of. Of of those games, but no, actually, I enjoy them. Well, why do you sigh? I sighed because we're again talking about Nintendo. Well, I think Nintendo is they <laughs> the use mat. hype to their. It's okay. it's relevant to the topic, Sean. Uh huh. Um, Not shoehorned in, in at all by the Nintendo fanboy. Well, it's my bread and butter. Yeah, go with what you know. Go That's with what true. you know. And every every Smash game, you know what Smash is going to be. I mean, it hasn't changed too much from it's okay. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you here. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm gonna flip the switch on you. Pull the train. Let's talk about Sonic. <laughs> oh, Sonic! Remember Sonic when Son- and hype are close friends. What? Sonic is a mythical creature. <laughs> yes, so, a good Sonic game. He's a hedgehog I'm gonna with make, shoes. I'm going to make a lot of people angry right now. Um, I like Sonic. I'm a fan of the original Genesis games. They're all the same game. Yeah. And so is Mega Man. Compared to the... No. Well, yeah, Mega Man. Yeah. They're Mega based Man. on a basic formula. They all have the same yeah, game. Yeah, Mega form. Man, I would say the first... If you're not going to X, the jump to X. Sonic me- never made the jump to Mega Man X. Right? Okay. So and Jenna, Mario. So the 3D games didn't jump for you? No. <laughs> which one? The one where you uh, were a werewolf or the one where you had a sword or which which one? Well, those are the side stories. But I'm talking like, well, no, I'm not. because Sonic is an 8 out of The Sonic 2 and Sonic 3 are an 8 out of 10. They're not 10 out of 10 games. Um, and Sonic, it's, it's a formula that it's done. Oh, you can go fast and there's platforms. And as a, a bread and butter platformer as I am, I don't look at Sonic as the best platformers. I mean, you've got Donkey Kong Country, you've got Super Mario Bros., you've got Rayman Legends, you've got those games. Oh, wait, we got one that wasn't a Nintendo hey, exclusive. There, no, there, there are <laughs> plenty out there. You've got Shovel Knights, you've got the Mega Mans. There's so many over yeah. Sonic, in my opinion. Um, See, Sonic has a special place in my heart because... I was newly an adult, bought my first game console with money from, you know, job after I got out of high school. And we threw a lot of parties and maybe did some things we shouldn't have done. And Sonic was just a blast to drink and play because it was different. Yeah, it was See, different. Mario required coordination. Sonic required split second jumps. And it was all about maintaining this sort of kind of Twitch gaming. Twitch game. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you as long as you had one ring, you were okay. Yeah. Whereas Mario, 
Yeah. But here's the thing about every Sonic game. Okay. And the Sonic this uh, okay, I'm going to I'm going to relate the Sonic series to Sonic games themselves. That first level, oh, it's so good. It's fun. You've played it a million times. It's fun. It's the right balance of oh, it's maybe a little too easy. You know, Spring fun. Hill. Yeah, Green Hill, Emerald Hill, uh Chartreuse Hill, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um the second level, okay, we're going to amp up the difficulty a little bit. Oh, it's cool. It's fun. It's great. And then the third level, it's like, okay, here's a really annoying thing. That's really that's really annoying. Can you stop? I want to play the game. The fourth level is like, okay, I'm not moving fast at all. I'm having to do time jumps like a Mario game, but I've got Sonic slippery feet, and I'm falling off. The, the fifth, the boss is the same guy as that boss, but he's really, it, that's, that's Sonic. Yeah. And that's the Sonic cycle. But I thought you liked Generations. Generations had the exact same problem. The first two levels of Sonic Generations, both the 3D and the 2D, mm, great, fantastic. They're fun. And then, oh, hey, that's that's sort of, oh, this boss fight is really a repetitive. Oh, God. Oh, God, the ending. Uh, that's Sonic. And that's how every Sonic, that's the Sonic so, cycle. Isn't there a, like, hype cycle for Sonic that's It's called separate? the Sonic Cycle. And so this is how the Sonic cycle works, for the most part. Hey, a new Sonic game's coming out. Oh my gosh, it looks like it's going back to its roots. You know, oh, my hopes are are, are raised. You know, oh, Sonic's finally coming back. He hasn't been back since Genesis. That's true. And then, as more information comes out about the Sonic game, it's like, uh, oh, oh, it's a brawler? Sonic Sonic Boom? Oh, oh, you're, you're fighting? Pinball. Oh, oh, oh pin, it's a pinball game. Now. Oh, oh, there's a bunch of furries now. I've never seen these. Oh, oh it's uh, Big the Cat and Small the Chinchilla. And uh, oh, who's that guy? Uh, oh, and then finally the game's released and, you know, the reviews are horrible. It doesn't recapture the magic it's horribly buggy and it falls into that same oh that first level is so good but uh every sonic's been around forever okay so there's two games coming out this year we <laughs> kind of joked about it already. we did we did before we uh, started <laughs> recording there are two games coming out um one is really hitting the nostalgia hard this time um mm-hmm. they're hitting like the 16-bit sort of style graphics um, doing remixes of levels, and uh, it's only got Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles. That's it. That's it. We're not giving you Amy or Big George, or the whatever yeah. Albatross. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> Story is not what Sonic's known for either. And then you have another Sonic game coming out called Sonic Forces. Plural? Forces, yeah. And it's another 3D Sonic game, but. Classic Sonic's coming back, and there's going to be 2D levels in it, similar to Generations. And, uh, eh, who cares? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who cares? And they're doing two in the same year. So the 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 thing, again, this is going into the hype uh, a mm-hmm. little bit. Sonic Mania is not being developed by the Sonic team at all. It's being developed by uh, a trio of people that were... ROM uh, emulator remixers mm-hmm. and uh, making games, porting games and kind of remixing levels and taking, you know, that they, they have some success with some remix of Sonic's. I can't think of 
any off the top of my head, but they're not the core development team. So there's like that hope of, oh, somebody else is coming back to Sonic and they're going to make it great. But again, that's feeding into the hype cycle. That's what our hope is. And then Sonic Forces is developed by the same tried and true Sonic is a robot werewolf from heaven. All right, let's table that. Yeah, let's table that. So I have one last hype point that I we really should have talked about it in their tangents. Yeah. But console releases, specifically the new Xbox console that's coming out, the Scorpio. Yeah. Yeah, you're going in eh. and the PS4 has, you know, two models now. Yeah. The the Xbox has soon to be three models. Yeah. But they're building hype. By releasing tech specs and no evidence of what it is, why why would people care about so, the tech specs? Somebody, somebody um, in that video that I talked about previous with Kyle Bossman, he talks about that aspect. Sony is very much here. Are the games here are the franchises. This is what you want. This is what we're doing. Final Fantasy VII remake, all of that. And Microsoft's more of a, it's got 300 teraflops and can generate a 3D printer of a replication of a car in two seconds. I mean, Microsoft's focusing on the technology. You know, HoloLens Connect. I mean, they finally have discontinued the Connect, surprisingly. But Microsoft's focusing on the technology side. I mean, the PS4 Pro came out and it kind of came and went. They said, oh, it's got these enhanced graphics and it's going to make your old games look a bit better. But then at this point, I mean, that's the model you get, you know, it's yeah. the same price as the PS4 when it debuted. And if you want a cheaper entry level, you get it, but that I've got it's, both. It's done. It's gone. I mean, it, we're not talking about the PS4 pro anymore. It's kind of, you know, if you're a gamer and you want to stay cutting edge, you've got one. Um, if you don't care, you don't. Yeah. And Scorpio was debuted at E3 last year, and it said nothing. It was we're coming out with Scorpio. It's going to be cool. Well, they announced how many teraflops it has, and to to the to the lay game person, I I always get I get upset about the graphic announcement. I get I get so upset when people are talking about technology before they see a game. To me, I am a software sells the hardware. The hardware doesn't sell the software. So I've got a perfect example of why. The Atari Jaguar. Amazing technology platform. No there's games. there's plenty of examples of that. The Sega Game Gear. Yeah. Oh my gosh, when it came out, it came out relatively in quick succession to the original Game Boy. It had a backlit screen. It had, you know, eight full color. Bits, full color. Yep. Um, two minutes of battery life on six AAA <laughs> battery uh AA batteries. But I mean, there's always that technologically superior thing. And I mean, uh, the thing I always tell people, which they don't like because I'm a Nintendo fanboy, is the GameCube was technically superior to the PS2. We know who won that one. It wasn't the GameCube. The PS2 won that. Well, I couldn't watch movies on my GameCube. Right. Well, uh, but that wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't the only selling point. PlayStation had the mature games. The people that were growing up wanting more mature games, that's where they were going. See, I'm going to argue because... The only reason I bought a PS2 at the time is because I wanted a DVD player. Okay. I mean, that was a selling point, an additional feature. But in terms of graphical fatality or, I mean. Oh, yeah. Visuals. Visuals. So, I mean, is the Xbox going to play? I mean, it will probably play 4K Ultra HD Blu-rays. It does. 
okay, is it going to support virtual reality? I'm sure it will. I mean, the PlayStation has got virtual reality, and nobody cares. Nobody cares because it's not the best one. No, the PC and the people, the people that are adopting VR are going. They they want the best right now. Well, and it's still early on premium. because whatever is going to come out in two years is going to make these things look like crap. You know what? We can keep talking about hype in every cycle Ex- and everything. Exactly. We can just keep going because now you mentioned VR. And oh. <laughs> that starts a whole other hype cycle. Well, I mean, but, there's um, that, uh, the thing I always bring up is as people always there's always that um, gimmick. Yeah. That technology tries. We can have a grabber. Right. And Xbox kind of went down the. Uh, we're going to have a multimedia experience. This isn't just a game console. This is where you're going to go for all of your content. That's what they marketed it on. Right? They tried. Tried to. Yeah. Um, with TVs, we've had like 70 gimmicks in the last 10 years. First, it was HD. That one caught on. HD was a good one because we haven't had anything like that, and it finally caught on. But you've had 3D TVs. You've had curved display TVs. You've had um, 240 hertz that make... 24 frames per second movies look weird. Um, (laughs) Yes. um, And they market that like, oh my gosh, it's going to make everything look lifelike. And it just makes things look, we don't need it. But Ultra HD, 4K. Yeah. And 4K is another one. I mean, will it make sense in 10 years? Sure. Is it something to get now? Well, there's your PS Pro too. Yeah. So anyhow, I mean, I I understand what you're saying, but I mean, hardware... (sighs) They always they have to go the technological hype, but I mean it's one of those things where is it actually cool or is it a gimmick? And that's maybe that's life, Sean. Maybe that's what I'm understanding right now. We're easily fooled consumers. That's what this comes down to. Yeah. So anyway, wrapping that up, let's move into our one dumb thing. Hey, Sean, this is your one dumb thing, but I will be happy to jump on and talk about this one. <laughs> well, when you hear it in a second, you won't be surprised that he responded that way. Well, maybe you will. So my one dumb thing this week is the Nintendo Mini or Classic or whatever they call it. Uh, it's the NES Classic Edition show. Yeah, the, the micro NES with the ROM. Nintendo's decided that it's done. We're, we're not going to sell production. those anymore. We're not going to make them. We're ending production. They did this without ever meeting demand. And I kind of get that, but it's a license to print money. <sighs> Yeah, and I so when Christmas came out, when Christmas came out, you know, Christmas this is coming year's out, release. It's coming out to forty fifth of December this year. <laughs> when Christmas was approaching last year, I I really wanted to get people this thing for Christmas for my gamers and non gamers alike yeah. because it yeah. it was a nostalgic tool. It was great. It's a little nostalgia toy. You know, it's a it looks and it good. was a toy. Yeah, it was a toy price. Yeah, so. It was an impulse you know, ball. And it had 30 games and people could go back and play. It was a toy. It was fun. And uh, I never got the chance. I didn't even get one myself for the holidays last year because demand was huge for this thing. Um, and now they're ending supply. And it is kind of baffling. But it's Nintendo. And as <laughs> I always tell people. Frequently baffling. With Nintendo, whatever you think makes sense to you, they're not going to do that. <laughs> If you if you thought it made sense to make another one of these things with 30 more games or have the ability to download additional games to it that they can make money on by selling <laughs> Nintendo's it Nintendo's never going to do that. And no. um I'll I'll link to a, an article um about this. Somebody came up I think it was Polygon came up with like four potential reasons of why Nintendo's discontinuing it. 
But the thing that baffles me the most about it is the virtual console. Nintendo has a new console they're trying to sell (laughs) called the Nintendo Switch. And they don't have a way to buy these games. Nope. And the thing, it's just gone. It's, it's, it, it, actually, I read the Virtual Boy outlived the NES Classic (laughs) edition. The Virtual Boy. Uh, All right. Let's move into our last thoughts. Let's move into our last Sean's. Our last Sean's. Our last thoughts with Sean. So, my last thought is hype is part of the world we live in now. We can't get people's attention without it, and we all hate it. That's my... That's pretty profound, Sean. That's my mic drop. I, I like that a lot. <laughs> um, that's that's really deep. That's, that's a good thought. Um, I guess... I don't know if I, I, I... I think we're all susceptible to hype, but... Um, you know, try one thing. One thing that you're excited about, whether it be a movie, a book, a video game, and don't play into the hype and get it when it comes out or get it later. And, you know, there's so many games that people miss. Or wait until the matinee on Tuesdays. Yeah, exactly. Wait until the matinee. Go see a movie that you heard about that you haven't seen the trailer for. Just go surprise yourself. I, I... it's it's almost a novel thing these days to kind of you know go do go do something unexpected, watch something that you weren't planning on watching. I mean, it's it's weird to say that now because I mean, there are so many channels that fill into our you know superhero movies are just a dime a dozen now, and video games are huge. I mean, there was a time where these things weren't as big. Our fandoms were niche. Board games, yeah, board games. Look oh at my the gosh, and board games. <sighs> Board games, there's a thousand board games now that are good. And it's hard. I mean, board games are a great thing. Go play a board game with somebody that you've never heard of. You might surprise yourself. So I guess my final thought, a little more concise, is go surprise yourself. Don't build into the hype. Just for one thing. You can get absorbed in it for some other things. But try just turning off the uh, the YouTubes or the reviews and just go surprise yourself sometime. Or just go outside and walk outside nature and... You know, take a walk or go on vacation somewhere. I mean, just that's also an option. <laughs> What's a vacation? I don't know. I've never had one. No, you go on vacation every year. Yeah. I don't. Anyhow, um, I want <laughs> to think... go from, to my next project. Yeah. I want to thank everybody for listening. We were off last week. We're back this week. Um, we're going to stay as regular as you guys are listening. Um, again, we haven't heard any comments. Um Go to our Facebook page, go to our Twitter, go to our website. Let us know what you want to hear about. Is there a topic that we haven't touched? I, mean, I think we've pretty much touched everything in the past four weeks. So, I mean, you know, we might as well just end it here. But is there something that you want to hear us talk about? A game? Or do you have any comments on our previous episodes that you'd like to like us to revisit? So, get, get involved. We would be happy to hear your comments or concerns or opinions about other things. Otherwise, Jared has to accept my view that no one's commenting because everything we're saying is perfectly correct. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the show is named after you. So, <laughs> okay. Well, everybody, uh, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.